African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. This is uh, Channel Africa. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Moshatama, right here on uh, African Dialogue. Yes, as I mentioned, Channel Africa is the African perspective. And you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us as well. We're on DSTV. The DSTV channel is Audio Bouquet Channel 802. Don't forget that you can stream us live on our website. It's a lovely website, www.channelafrica.co.au. You can also listen to us live, get our podcasts and also uh, various news items on that website. South Africa are listening to us uh, via DSTV. We're on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. you with me, Benjamin Moshatam. Well, today we have a nice story. I enjoyed this story. I think it comes because last week we were looking at uh, uh, the issue of uh, what was happening when it comes to the hominids and the uh, the preservation of uh, that cultural heritage there in South Africa when we're looking back at what was happening in Sterkfontein and hey, this week uh, coincidentally after that we were told that it's International Women Museums Day not International Women's Day but International Museums Day and we thought hey what is the place of museums or museums in contemporary life uh, this day has been celebrated since 1977 as a way to raise awareness of the importance of museums around the world now the theme for the acknowledgement of this day for 2017 is museums and contested histories saying the unspeakable in museums now museums are defined as non-profit permanent institutions which are used to serve society to conserve, research, and exhibit the heritage of communities and the environment. However, in a digital age where information is just a mobile phone away, do people still have interest walking in the four walls of a museum to explore that heritage and conservation? To help us on this particular subject, we're joined on the line by Ezekiel Museum Public Programs Coordinator Wandi Lekasibe, who's joining us from Cape Town. Uh, Ezekiel Museum is a fantastic space in Cape Town. Very interactive. I love this museums because it is always full of activities for people to do. It's almost like uh, there's every month or so a project that is coming in and out of this particular museum uh, to actually enable people to engage. It's not very stationary. It's always changing and shifting itself. So it's great to have Iziko on the line uh, to give us their outlook. And also we've got Conradi uh, Merit who is an education officer uh, from the Transvaal Museum. So it's great to be speaking to both to you. Let me start with you, uh, Wandile. As I mentioned, you know, your museum is very interactive. You have your events constantly and you try and always find ways to out, have outreaches to the communities themselves. Let's, let's look at the, the world that we find ourselves now. When it comes to heritage, when it comes to conservation, we just would rather just Google it. We'd rather just uh, uh, look what's happening on the Internet or stay on our Facebook pages and just, just screen uh, certain things on our digital world. Uh, are museums still relevant, Wandile? 
Uh, thank you very much for your, for your question and also for inviting me to be on your program. Of course, museums have a, you know, a very important role to play in society. And, and I think that you know, uh, one of the things that we, we need to remember is that museums actually help us, uh, first of all, you know, understand where we come from, uh, where we are today, and perhaps gives us you know, a you know, understanding of you know uh, of where we're going, you know, in, into the future, and and for us as physical museums, as you rightfully pointed out earlier, that we we run programs uh, that are you know uh, interactive, and part of the, the things that we do, we also have a mobile museum project whereby we actually take the museum to communities, we take the museum to where people are, because that came as an understanding that not everybody actually has you know, the luxury or rather the, the finances to actually come to the museum. And we understand the historical, you know, background to that. And therefore, okay. you know, the project was then initiated to ensure that we actually go to where people are so that we are in a position to actually, you know, maximize access to our institutions or to, you know, to, it's basically they belong to the public. Uh, mm. You know, this is the heritage that belongs to, to society. And therefore, it's important for us to make sure that access is always maximized. And for people who have never had an opportunity to come to the museum, we should be able to create platforms and opportunities and spaces for those, you know, uh, community members to come and see their heritage in museums. And also not just see, but also participate in, in continuous dialogues and conversations that are meant to shape, you know, the, the, the business of the museum, because the, the museumness of the museum cannot actually be articulated outside of the framework mm. of people contributing to that, you know, process of knowledge production. Mm. So as Izigo, we're basically very much involved in communities, and we do run programs that are linked to commemorative days, you know, for example, Africa Day, you know, uh, Freedom Day, mm, Youth mm. Day, uh, Women's Day, Heritage Day, uh, World AIDS Day, and so on. So, we, we, you know, at all times, we, we're dealing with, with, with communities. Mm. Well, let me come to you, Kondradi. Thank you for giving us your time as well in terms of mus- this very much important conversation we're having today. Because sometimes the challenge of museums is that they can be stationary. And I like what Iziko is doing. They're actually going out into the community. But how important is that stationary space, that building itself, the traditional museum that stands there and has rooms filled with historical information or images and statues? How important is that physical representation, Conradi? Thank you, Benjamin. Yes, I'm very glad you're asking this question. Um, I just quickly want to go into the role of museums. You have mentioned that that the slogan for this year is Museums and Contested Histories and saying the unspeakable in museums. But, you know, it's really important uh, to know that we have certain core functions at museums. Um, Museums exist because of their collections. And very often, these collections are large. So you have to have a building or a place where you can keep these uh, uh, artifacts. And that falls under collection management, which is one of the core functions of museums. Another core function of museums is inventories and documentation. And that is whereby 
you will do accessioning, inventory control, and cataloging, and uh, numbering the objects so that you know what you have in your collection. Then very shortly, the care and preservation of collections, and um, especially conservation, is also a, a vital part of keeping your collection secure, um, reducing future loss and damage for the next hundred years and so on. Then, of course, today um, we cannot have collections and not communicate. Um, public programs, display, exhibition, and exhibits are very important. Um, I want to bring in here interpretation of objects. Whether it um, is a doctor that is interpreting a specific bone for a scientific journal, or whether it is an interpretation of an exhibition for visitors. That is our task. We need also to do research on all these objects. And then that information, that research, we must bring out to the public. And I'm very glad to say that we have had a series of lectures with University of Pretoria because the Ditsong Museum, of mm. which I am part, mm. there are eight museums, seven are in Pretoria and one is in Johannesburg, and we actually um, represent the National Museum of Natural History, the National Museum of Cultural History, as well as the National Museum of Military History. But we have had um, uh, lectures at University of Pretoria for free, and if I may mention, on Friday the 19th of, 19th of May, we're going to continue with these lectures. These lectures are offered by museum professionals, and we've got at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and I'm just quickly going to mention what the talks will be on. Mm -hmm. It's archaeozoology, which will be um, the, a lecture given by Dr. Shaw Bardenos. Then there's the introduction into archaeology by Mr. Frank Tyson. And we're also talking about human remains by Mr. Sandy McKenzie, which is one of those unspeakable, saying the unspeakable in media. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a fantastic uh, uh, real conversation and uh, uh, we'll, we'll speak about that maybe off-air, Conrad, and see if maybe we can also participate in that. Uh, but let me come back to you, Wandile. You know, Conrad was highlighting various uh, elements of uh, what museums are and how important they are in terms of conservation and also interacting with community and also the the idea of knowledge production and, and you highlighted that briefly earlier on but you know the challenges remain in contemporary culture of getting people into these spaces because sometimes spaces can seem like very much peripheral to society maybe you know museum buildings of an old architectural um uh, uh, visual aspect, you know, I know that the one that Iziko is in a very old uh, um, building in, in Cape Town, uh, I can say it can be intimidating maybe for the ordinary normal person to enter the gigantic, almost colonial building in, in Cape Town. What are the main challenges currently for, for museums as a person who works in a museum? I know you reach out to the community. I know that you try to do things that make sure that uh, people understand the importance of the museums. But I'm sure there are some challenges that remain in today's fast-paced digital world. 
Yeah, thank you very much for, for that question. And I think that we, we almost need to find a way of, you know, locating um, almost the, the, you know, the, the, the genesis of the museum within a particular historical framework. Sure. And you're right by pointing out that the, the fact that, you know, Ezekiel itself or, you know, the South African Museum or Naturalist Museum, which was, which then, you know, used to be known, it was basically, you know, uh, uh, established in 1825 which, of course, you know, the time, you know, was, it was really at the height of, of, of the, colonial, the, 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 the colonial period. And, and, and for, you know, for the scholars of history, people who've actually studied history, we know very well that, you know, at the time, these museums were actually, you know, accessed by certain people, that there were certain people who were not allowed to actually come into these spaces. And these museums were basically, I'm not just saying ours, but, you know, the, you know, the rest of, you know, uh, many national museums in this country, that they were basically used spaces where racial science was basically practiced, and that racial science reduced African people to, you know, to animality because it used a certain particular colonial ideology to reduce, you know, African people to objects of, you know, of scientific observation. And, and as an outcome of that, there were certain objects that were basically collected unethically and I'm, I'm, I'm glad my colleague mentioned the fact that you know the question of the human remains which remains mm-hmm. a you know a, a, a very uh, you know sensitive issue even to this very day because some of these human remains are kept in museums that were meant for for animal for the depiction of animals and the question is you know and and and, and how do you then begin to you know to unearth or rather to to, to, to decolonize spaces that were actually meant to exclude certain bodies. Mm, mm, mm. And, and African people entered into these museums as, you know, human remains or as specimens to be, to be studied, and some of them as dead corpses. So now, in the post-colonial era, where do we then locate the, the role of these museums? And I want to believe that museums are actually playing a particular role in as much as museums were used to actually, you know, reinforce these, quote-unquote, scientificized knowledge about, you know, uh, or rather the stereotypes about African people, the same institutions could actually be used to create a space of dialogue, dialogue that would create an environment in which we can actually understand where we come from as a nation, where we are now, and where we should actually be going. And, and I think that through these interactive programs and activities, a mindset could actually, in fact, we are actually changing mindsets. And the number of people who are actually, people who were not actually previously allowed to come into this museum to see diverse communities entering our museum spaces. And, I, and as I'm speaking, you know, with you now on the phone, a huge number of communities are actually enjoying programs that we currently have at the museum on this very important day. So museums have actually, you know, evolved and museums are still evolving. And the museumness of the museum, as I, as I was saying earlier, cannot actually be understood outside of the framework of it being actually, you know, interpreted and reinterpreted by communities themselves, mm-hmm. as, we, as, we, as we should actually be in a position to actually transform and decolonize the content of this museum so that everybody would actually feel welcome when they walk through these spaces. So I mm-hmm. do agree with you mm-hmm. that building could actually, you know, push people away. But I think it's not really about the building, it's about the content, it's about mm. what happens within that building. Mm. And Izigo is actually at the heart of the turning of the century's tide in mm. ensuring that 
it changes the way people actually look at museums. And through these programs that we are running, we are basically doing just that. Well, I'm going to pose that question back to you, uh, Conradi, because I think that's very important, uh, uh, the issues of coloniality when it comes to museums and their representations and what they tell of our histories. And can we actually reimagine these spaces themselves in contemporary life? Hey, let's come back to you, the listener. What are your thoughts? Do you still think think museums have a place in contemporary society in a world where Google is just a, a, a just a, a step away and you can actually uh, really find information right right there on your mobile phone uh, give us your thoughts uh, SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or you can email us tell us what you think of our programming on info at channelafrica.org I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back with our guests This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Kia Makande Mvalelwa Kina Miriam Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika Mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Yes, this is Channel Africa, the African perspective. Thank you for joining us. And you're listening to me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Uh, thank you for listening to us. If you're on shortwave, we're on the frequency 965 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. DSTV, we're on the audio channel 802. Well, today we're speaking about the place of museums in contemporary life. We get great voices today on our show. Eziko Public Programs Coordinator Wandile Kasibe is with us and Konradi Marietti is with us who is an education officer for the Transvaal Museum. Konradi, uh, before that break, uh, Wandile was highlighting something very, very essential in terms of uh, the representations of museums and also the coloniality and also sometimes the perceptions that we have of museums. In terms of that issue of coloniality and these representations because, you know, historically, museums were, could have been a bourgeoisie space, most like a space for the privileged, for arts, art, the artsy types, you know. But now, I think in contemporary life, we're trying to broaden the landscapes of who can enter into a museum. In terms of that space, from a sociological perspective and how we remove ourselves from these colonial views of museums, how do we take things forward? Yes, thank you very much. Um, that's a good question. I think one must be um, focused on the community, and we must try and bring the community to the museums. Um, we are focusing, of course, when we say bringing the community, at the moment, actually 
today specifically, we are working in partnership with Tswane, and they have bused in learners from all over Tswane. And uh, these learners, we have a passport system which we, uh, by which they can visit 16 museums in Tswane. And if they visit eight of these museums and they get a stamp at each museum that they visit, then they can actually win very nice prizes like uh, cameras, etc. So we have, like I say, we've worked in partnership with Tswane. We, we bring the learners because very often, as you know, museums started out as showcases for the elite. Mm. So today it is, it is not like that. Today we want the communities and the communities here on our doorstep as well as a wider community. So um, that's why we brought the community to the museum today, school children. Then um, specifically we have outreach programs. The outreach programs are very important because then we take the museum, we've got different exhibits representing our eight museums, and we take those exhibitions to the schools. Now, it's not always um, possible, so we have a mobile unit by which we do this. So you will hear that we are very focused on the learners um, to, to bring the museum to them. So those are two ways with which we are trying to overcome this uh, colonial view that people have of museums. I just also would like to say about the virtual museum. You know, virtual museums are where people can go online and then they can view objects that are being digitized. So that, um, I think, uh, we're talking more to the adult market and whereby we digitize objects. Um, so a, there will be a picture of a specific object as well as the information around that object and people can sit uh, in front of their laptop and they can just view these objects. Mm, fantastic. And uh, I want to come back to this issue of that very element that you're talking about, the Conradi, the fact that, you know, how do you actually reimagine uh, the landscape of museums themselves? And I think that virtual museum um, aspect, you, you're taking the conversation forward. But, uh, Wandile, that, that is something that I'm sure museums are grappling with. How do you reimagine these spaces? How do you actually bring them closer to the virtual world? world? How do you incorporate them in terms of the uh, internet world? I'm sure there's a lot of considerations right now on how to actually make museums more attractive. Mm. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Thanks for that. And, and I think we, I mean, as Izigo, we, we, we've always been at the cusp of the technical things, um, you know, because we, we, we also understand museums in a, in, a, in, a, in a particular way that museums have a particular role to play not just to, you know, to immediate communities. There are, there are people who cannot be here physically, but who still are connected to the content and the programs that we run as an institution. And as an outcome of that, we also understand museums as open universities. You know, for example, if you have a discussion, like, you know, uh, in a couple of, um, you, you, know, uh, uh, you know, days from now, we'll be running an Africa Day program in collaboration with the city. That will be, you know, li uh, you know uh, streamed live so that we're able to connect to audiences that cannot be in the space. 
so so that in itself then the museum then becomes you know a, a, you know an open university where people from wherever they are from the comfort of their home if they can get connected to the internet and their cell phones they can still actually be part and parcel of the of the proceedings of the engagement or discussions that are taking place within our museums. So virtual spaces, they play an important role because there you can actually reach out to much bigger audiences, to people who are not actually, you know, based in the location, but they can still actually take part in these conversations. So virtuality of the museum is actually important for us as well. And we also do, you know, um, you know, make, make the spaces. For example, there was a, a competition that we actually ran a couple of years back, where people would actually come and take cell phones, you, you know, within our museum spaces, and then they would basically post those, and others would actually see, you know, friends posting on, on you know, on, 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 on the on, on the website of the of the museum, and then that actually created, you know, a, a kind of. Um, you know, a, a wave where people actually came because there were certain spots with certain information you could actually come and download certain information using a QR code. So, so we are trying to actually enter into that space. And, and as we know, that technology changes all the time. So, so we also find ourselves also chasing after technology because, and, and of course, you know, funding is also an issue when it comes to these things because you almost need to change. Every time technology changes, you, you have to change so that you can actually be in a position to use the current technology that will actually meet the demands that are out there. Mm. So for us, that is also another very, very important space. And we actually are, you know, uh, you know uh, working on activities that would actually help us to actually achieve what we'd like to achieve through those virtual spaces. Mm. And we also ran a program that we call Mobile Museum in Your Pocket, where you could actually download the, the whole, you know, uh, video that we had actually put together, a, a DVD-ROM, whereby you could actually download and have the mobile museum, you know, watch on your, you can actually watch the programs on your cell phone. Mm. You know, I'm also interested in, in that issue that you highlighted there because you were talking a bit about the challenge of funding. We know that most museums are non-profit organizations, but they are uh, permanent institutions in themselves. Kondari, is that a challenge for museums to actually continue uh, their work? Uh, and who supports uh, the work that you, you do in that community? Because I'm sure it must take a lot of uh, uh, funding and also a lot of... Uh, uh, real, real resources that are required to keep uh, uh, the conservation going and also uh, that knowledge preservation uh, continuing. Yes. Um, today, it's very much, um, you know, the, fun- the funding that we get, um, Ditsong Museums of South Africa is funded by the Department of Arts and Culture, mm. but a big part of um, the entrance fees or the admission fees also contribute towards our budget. Um, so it's important for us to, to care for the visitor because uh, to offer quality visitor services, developing visitor services policy statements, defining and understanding the visitor, who are the types of visitors and what are their needs, planning and managing for visitor services. We offer a service. My point that I'd like to make is we would like if somebody comes through our door, then we'd like them to come back. So the biggest service you offer today 
um, the more you will have them coming back. And of course, we are competing with uh, the Sun Cities. We are competing mm. with international um, exhibitions that mm. people bring from other countries. Mm. We had a dinosaur exhibition, a traveling dinosaur exhibition. So yes, um, you know, we have to be, we have to care for the visitor. If we know who they are and we give them a great service, they will come back. Mm. And then I think also we need to educate our communities that museums are there, that museums can provide a lot of information, understanding culture, understanding heritage, understanding the natural world. You know, I, when you were talking about entrance fees, I was, I was remembering when I was on a work trip in Paris and uh, I walked through the, the Louvre outside the Museum of the Louvre there and uh, I couldn't afford it because it was around like 500 rands just to walk in to see all the art there. So talking about that, that just brings back that memory. I had to go to another pop art uh, museum that was a free entrance. So at least I got what I needed, a little bit of inspiration there. But you know, Wandile, uh, when it comes to the issue of preservation, we were talking about preservation of history, preservation of uh, you know, hominids, and all sorts of things, you know. And there's different elements of this kind of conservation because there's the tangible and there's also the intangible histories that we need to uh, display in our museums. Can you speak about these two elements, the tangible and the intangible? Yeah, uh, thank you very much. And you know, right now, as, as before this interview, there was actually a performance that was actually taking place um, you know, in the in in the well, well, and this was a, this is you know was a, a puppet uh, you know performance piece, and after that there was also another performance which was actually done by by past. The the the, the second performance basically the the idea you know is to tell the story of evolution using movements or using performances to tell a particular story about you know, uh, a human evolution and so on. And, 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 and that to us is very important because often at times when we come to museums, of course we experience the tangibility of or the physicality of these buildings where you can actually see an object. But then, you know, we, 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 there is a huge gap because sometimes when you talk about interpreting or reinterpreting, we often use you know, um, you know, one-sided approach to reinterpret collections. And we've actually, you know, been able to identify this gap in saying that how do we bring the intangibility or the intangible heritage into these physical spaces? And as a museum, we actually do run poetry shows, by the way. We do run concerts. We, we, we do uh, do storytelling. We'll be doing another storytelling today. So this is now, we, we then, you know, linking or rather bridging the gap between the tangible and the intangible heritage. We're bringing these two together because in the African context, you know, Afri- you know stories were basically passed on from one generation to an- another through orality. And we cannot therefore lose that aspect of our heritage um, and I think that as a museum, we understand it within within the context of that historical framework. And people must also understand that, you know, the, the museum itself, the, the very concept of a museum actually is a concept that was appropriated by European, you know, institutions. They actually appropriated it from actually Africa. At the time, you know, the oldest museum that we know that's been recorded is the Museum of Alexandria, 
which was basically known as the Royal Library of Alexandria, which was then, of course, you know, appropriated, you know, with the, you know, the, the rise of, you know, European Renaissance. And that museum was actually, you know, built or finished in 280 BC by Ptolemy. So it was way before Renaissance. So we actually have a story to tell as, as African people to say that the concept itself, it came from the continent, but of course it was appropriated for all sorts of colonial, colonial reasons. And as Africa, then we should actually be proud of ourselves. And of course, there was also another argument that Egypt does not belong in Africa, which was then passed on by Georges Hegel, who then said that Africa has no contribution. So to him, Africa actually was only represented by southern sub-Saharan countries. So when it goes to Egypt and other African countries, those didn't represent Africa. So he made that argument so that he can actually discredit Africa. He can actually divorce Africa from, you know, being a continent that actually contributed to human civilization. So, so we have a story to tell as African people that the concept itself was actually given back to, you know, from the continent. And then, of course, it was appropriated and then used in, in, in all sorts of different ways. Mm, Kondadi, your thoughts there on uh, that uh, issue of telling that African narrative. Some of our histories are untold. Some of them are uh, oral. And that's a good point that uh, Wandile highlights. How do we actually put them in a space where we can frame them and they can become stories that are now told in this contemporary life? Yes. um, We have at the moment at the National Museum of Cultural History, uh, in Fisaghi Street in Swane, there's an exhibition on the Mamelodi Massacre, mm. and it is very well done. So I would ask people to please support that um, and uh, come and see this exhibition. I also, um, my colleague was talking about hominids, and I'd also, if I may, take this opportunity and tell you about a lecture about Mrs. Cliff. It's okay. her, basically her 70, 70th birthday um, tonight, and there will be a lecture at, as you call it, the Transvaal Museum. The new name is Dipsong National Museum of Natural History, which is in Paul Kruger Street. So uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. And then may I also, you know, bring in something lighter, which is the Mampur Festival, which we're going to have on the 3rd of June, 2017. Um, what they do, it's the National Championship of the Cultural Distillers Guild. And so a champion will be appointed. Uh, it's a festival. Uh, people can uh, taste Mampur and they can taste liqueur. And um, yes, I would like to ask people to uh, please support us with this function on the Saturday, the 3rd of June. 2017 at Willem Prinsler Agricultural Museum. Yeah, I love that. I love that because it just shows you, just by you narrating the events that are happening, there's kind of a diversity in what you can experience through museums. And maybe we become too much, uh, uh, you know, normalized into things that are very much malls and 
uh, going to, I don't know, a pub and hey, maybe we should start exploring these spaces because there's a lot of things happening. And this was informative for me because I, I kind of understand there's still a lot of heritage that is being enjoyed in South Africa. Now, let's wrap it up. Moving forward, in terms of participation from communities, how well are we doing, Wandile, in terms of interests? Are people still interested in these museums? Oh, yes, yes. The, the people are, are very interested. Like, I, it's we, not we, just we, the Magogos and the children from primary school. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are, you know, we have, we have audiences that, you know, that, that range from, you know, people from different different generations and different age groups. And, and that, that's actually what excites us because right there you see intergenerational conversations mm. w- where people actually share their stories within our museum spaces. And, and, and this is exactly the point that we're making to say that museums actually have a potency to change the way we look at the world and the way we interact as citizens. That's why we're saying, as, you know, as Ezeko, that, that these museums can actually be transformed and they can be, actually be decolonized into becoming spaces that could create an environment where notions of social cohesion mm. could actually be realized. And museums have the power to actually do that. If they were actually used as divisive institutions, you know, they can, you know, also be used as institutions that could actually bring people together. And through programs that are, you know, aimed at addressing issues of society, because we also believe that, you know, there is no way that we can actually achieve what we'd like to achieve if our programs are not, you know, designed to address those specific issues that, you know, I mentioned earlier on when, for example, we deal with issues of, you know, a program that are linked to commemorative days, soon we'll be, you know, working on our Africa Day program and then after that we're doing a, you know, a Women's Day program and then Youth Day. And these are programs that are targeted actually, you know, addressing issues that affect, you know, uh, communities. And I think for us we're actually at the heart of those processes, and we're very, it, it excites us to see young people, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, elderly people, to see, you know, people from different age groups, to see kids from, you know, uh, primary schools, and and that, you know, for us actually is a proof that museums are actually changing the way people look, you know, at their heritage and, and how they actually consume content that is actually mm. produced by museums and this content is also produced by them because they come and interact with these collections and through those interactions we are able to actually learn from communities as museums. Oh, what a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed this conversation with both of you. Uh, thank you to our guests. Uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing. Thank you to uh, Wandile Kasibe, who is uh, Iziko Museum's Public Programs Coordinator. Thank you as well to Konradi Marit, who is an Education Officer for the Transvaal Museum. Thank you both for giving us your time. It's been fantastic. It's been wonderful. I've got more adjectives, but I don't have enough time to describe how much I enjoyed this conversation with both of you. Thank you very much.
Well, that's how we wrap up the program. Remember, we want to hear from you. Uh, we run from Monday to Thursday. So tell us about the stories that stuck out for you in this week. You can do that on our email address, info at channelafrica.org, or you can uh, send us your SMSs on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's end with some music for the week, and do have a good weekend because we won't be with you tomorrow. But we'll end with uh, Zolan and Kiva. This one is titled... The United States of Africa. Fellow brothers and sisters of Africa, the leadership of Africa has declared this century as an African century. We need to take a stand now and say, unless...